Broadcasting live from the Business Radio X studios in Midtown Atlanta, it's time for Top Docs Radio, brought to you by Medical Association of Georgia. With over 7,800 physician members, MAG is pleased to advocate on behalf of Georgia's patients and physicians. Visit mag.org and on Twitter at mag1849. Join the conversation on Twitter at Top Docs on BRX. Good afternoon, everyone. It is C.W. Hall, your host here on the Top Docs Radio Show. Thank you for making us a part of your day today. We're pleased to have you with us, and we're continuing our series with the Medical Association of Georgia. Pleased to have with me in the studio again, Dr. John Harvey. He's the medical director for the Medical Association of Georgia's Medical Reserve Corps. We've had him in the studio a couple of times, actually, talking about what the Medical Reserve Corps is up to. And uh, he's going to be joined in the studio today by the Executive Director of Georgia Society of American College of Surgeons, Kathy Browning, with us in the studio as well. And we're also pleased to host Dr. Shoheb Ali. He's a resident in internal medicine at Gwinnett Medical Center. He's also a member of the MAG-MRC and gave a Stop the Bleed presentation and training demonstration during MAG's legislative seminar in June. And that's what we're going to be talking about today is the Stop the Bleed campaign that was launched several years ago, uh, if I'm correct, shortly after the Sandy Hook event at the school, which there led to, obviously, uh, many traumatic and uh, hemorrhagic-type injuries among those victims there. And, and so, if you would, I'll start with you, Kathy. You can talk a little bit about the genesis of this campaign and, and what got it started, and then Take us to where we are today here in Georgia. Front up, from what I understand, Georgia's kind of leading the way with taking this campaign really to the streets. Well, thank you. Thank you for having us here, and thank you for highlighting this very, very important program. You're correct, and the genesis of the Stop the Bleed program came at shortly after the Sandy Hook tragedy um, when a surgeon, Dr. Linmore Jacobson from Connecticut, uh, looked at the tragedy there and saw how many of those children died from bleeding that he thought could have been controlled, uh, given the proper training. That led to the Hartford Consensus, as it's called now, and um, the Stop the Bleed campaign as we know it, um, with a lot of uh, backing from the American College of Surgeons. Um, Then um, it has been adopted by the uh, Committee on Trauma for the American College of Surgeons, and then from there, the Georgia Society for the American College of Surgeons, which is the Georgia chapter, uh, sought a grant um, that was available from the American College of Surgeons for $15,000. And we put $5,000 of, of our own money into it and did uh, raise the awareness for trauma at the uh, Capitol in um, February of this year and did a Stop the Bleed training. And thankfully, uh, we had uh, support from the Medical Association of Georgia and lots of um, doctors there who helped us train legislators on Stop the Bleed, staff there. We were able to buy two large trauma, three, I'm sorry, three large trauma kits, um, put two in the Capitol and one in the legislative office building there um, next to their um, defibrillators um, and asked for a million dollars to put trauma kits in every public school in the state okay, and to train um, teachers, nurses, staff in the public schools on how to uh, perform bleeding control um, and um, to use these kits. We're not only lo- looking at terrorists or whether it be domestic or international, 
or um, mass casualty events. But but think about on the football field. You've got a compound fracture on the football field. Um, mm-hmm. You can have severe bleeding there. You can have kids falling down steps. You can have any number. Uh, you can have the science project gone wrong. Um, and so the goal of this project, part of it is so that folks know as much about bleeding control as, as we know about uh, the Heimlich maneuver. So that when we see people who are bleeding, we do not um, freak out that, that, that you know what to do. Now, is the campaign really going to be primarily focused throughout on the school environment? Trying to obviously, uh, when you have that sort of a mass casualty event in a place like that, clearly you want to be able to help them. But are, will it expand beyond schools or is it really going to be focused on school campuses? Well, this particular project where the legislature gave the Trauma Commission a million dollars, I think I forgot to mention that, um, very important fact. Um, to put trauma kits in the schools, there are lots of other programs. This is just one program that we have here. Um, there are lots of other programs. Um, Dr. Harvey is working with several of those, um, but you will see them in the airports in almost every public place. There, there are plans underway now to put these large trauma kits and to have this kind of training in um, every public place that you might see, whether it be the zoo or the airport or the new Mercedes-Benz Stadium or someplace like that, um, that is the goal of this project. When it comes to choking, it seems fairly straightforward outside of the, oh my gosh, factor, someone's, something's going on and you, you go to render aid with the Heimlich maneuver. It's a little bit different visual impact and, and stressor, if you will, to see large quantities of blood. Is it are the things that we're going to be learning how to use, because I see here some, some of the equipment that we're talking about making available, how, how tough is it for me to be able to handle that if I'm a lay person? Some of our friends, that uh, contemporaries that were on the Hartford Commission, did a fairly large evidence-based background study and found that most people that are involved in a situation like the Boston Marathon bombings, where there were immediately a number of victims, but also a number of spectators, uh, that whether or not they had medical training, there is a large segment that is willing to assist. Uh, Some of the time they are reluctant because they either don't have the training or don't know if they have the authority to go ahead. So our educational program is to empower people to understand that they have the basic background to control major hemorrhage. And then we want to provide the, the equipment uh, in a readily available fashion in certain public venues to where those are accessible if hemorrhage control is required. Now, I know that obviously we're here, we're talking about it in this medium. So it's a media outlet through which we'll be able to get the word out through this content as we share it through our respective channels. How else are you doing it? We're, we're going to do some in-services with like DOT, you talked about with the legislators. When it comes to the general populace, obviously the more of those folks that know about it, teachers are great, uh, the staff at a, at a school, but how do you get the word out to a wider audience through, through this project? Accompanying the grant, the trauma centers that are uh, spread through the state committed to help take the lead on providing training. They've already trained the uh, nurses at the state nursing uh, 
at the state school nurses convention that they had were training in each of the local regions, the school nurses uh, that will have these kits available. And we're offering training also to first response uh, teams as well as uh, citizens groups that are interested in having the training. If they contact their trauma program in their area, they'll set up a training for the, the event that people want to learn. And if you're in an area that doesn't have a trauma center, um, your local EMS is doing, there's lots of training going on in churches and in rotary clubs and those very down-home places um, uh, that, that is available through your local EMS. This program is actually a way for us to bring trauma care to every county in the state, regardless of whether you have a trauma center or even a hospital. Um, this this brings trauma care to every locale all over the state, regardless of population or resources. When it comes to that sort of training in those environments, like uh, the faith faith organizations, things like that, who's doing that? That who's doing that presentation? It it it, it depends. It can be it could be a, a doctor. It could be um, EMS. It could be a paramedic. Um, anybody that's been trained to provide the training. Okay. And there are lots of avenues for that to happen. With regards to the MRC, for example, I know that actively re- recruiting and looking for folks to be a part of that organization, make themselves potentially available in the event of a um, major disaster that would require medical care. In this situation, it sounds like there is some opportunity. If I'm listening, I'm a person in the in the community or I'm a clinician of whatever type I can participate. What's the process like to get that certification? Well, the MRC has taken this on as one of its educational uh, areas where we try to reach out and and work with the community, both to make them better prepared to respond to a disaster, but also there may be some that are interested in joining the MRC, as as you alluded. So we have taught courses, and as um, Ms. Browning Identified. These are train-the-trainer courses so that we can, uh, once trained, those people may often be able to train others in their circles or their area uh, in the effective use of the hemorrhage control kits. When it comes to being a resident, Dr. Ali, talk about your experience. What got you involved in this project and um, how have you been you know, active in trying to help them achieve this goal? Yes. Yeah, so... I got involved early on about a year ago um, when I started you know, becoming more involved in advocacy and um, trying to implement some change for, on, on a larger scale. Um, Dr. Harvey got me on board with the MRC, and we became more active in particularly the Stop the Bleed campaign. At, I believe it was sometime around June when we taught the legislators in Hiawassee, Georgia. I believe it's, it's important for the residents to become involved or engaged in this because we have the option or we have the ability to make a true change in hemorrhage control and improve an aspect of healthcare, which is often overlooked. We can do that often just through something simple as a tourniquet and learning how to appropriately apply a tourniquet and when to remove that tourniquet. So I'm involved with uh, Dr. Harvey to help spread the word, help teach um, as many people as possible, legislators, other residents, bringing more people on board 
and trying to create a network of young physicians who are willing to uh, change for the better. When we look at the actual kits that are being supplied through the program to the schools, can you talk about what all is in there? Because there's several pieces of equipment in there that could be used in the event of an emergency. Now, I know we're on the radio here, but <laughs> if you want to tune into the MAG's Facebook page, you can actually check out the video and may actually be able to see some of the gear that Dr. Harvey has here. And we'll try to do a, a very descriptive uh, word picture of what we're talking about here. But the, the uh, kits, the bleeding control kits that we've placed in the capital as well as in the schools, are in a small, usually red bag that we're having to try to have high visibility for identification. But these kits are about the size of a travel shaving kit that mm-hmm. most men carry in their luggage. And contained within the kit are three or four items that actually, I'm going to, while I hold, identify the item, I'm going to let Dr. Ali talk about it. Uh, as he was uh, doing such a great job at the legislative conference with the legislators. But the first we have is a universal precautions kit. Okay. Contains most of our, like, uh, general gloves, masks. There's anything additional to that. Maybe some gauze. Uh, Just protection, really general for the patient, for the provider. And, And so then you move on to controlling the major hemorrhage with the patient. And often the first thing you may have is, uh, and in the bleeding kits that we teach, there's either a, a shirt or a cloth or something that you can just use to provide compression because that's the first step in the control of major hemorrhage. Um, as you see, there's also a, like a wrapping, a, a bandage or a gauze um, to help after the pressure is applied um, focally on the localized bleed, then you can apply the pressurized bandage or a wrapping or ACE band, which is part of the kit as well. And then we move to if the direct pressure does not control the hemorrhage, there may be a requirement and we teach the indications to put on a tourniquet. And for extremity hemorrhage in the upper or lower extremities, that's a significant rate uh, exsanguinating type hemorrhage. We may apply a tourniquet to save the person's life or get them to the hospital to where that injury can be definitively managed. And that's Dr. Harvey raising up one of the tourniquets. Relatively, I mean, so putting it on, there's just, you got to know how to put it on correctly. It's not hard, but there are ways for it to be placed incorrectly and not to be doing the appropriate job. You want it to be tight enough to to overcome the arterial inflow pressure. And one of the things that we tell people is when you put it on, most of the patients complain that that's not comfortable. <laughs> it, it actually is uncomfortable if applied directly. But again, we're trying to stop the, the exsanguinating hemorrhage. And then finally, we have uh, when you seal it down, you write a time at, that the tourniquet is applied so that when they get to the trauma center, we know how long there's been ischemic time to the uh, affected extremity. And that lets us time our interventions best to achieve the greatest salvage. I guess this is what you were talking about as we were getting ready to go on air where one of the EMS folks was um, kind of stressing out when one of the trauma surgeons says, here, I'm going to take this off. You don't relieve pressure at all. Once you put that on, you get the 
bleeding apparently stopped that you can see. You leave it on until they get to the care of hospital or at least trained EMS people on site. Correct. And part of the training here, too, for bystanders um, is one of the first things that, that they're taught is if you see something, do something. Because as we were talking before the show, so many times folks will see something happen and will not step in and do something. So part of the training here is see something, do something. So even if you do not have a trauma kit with you, part of the, the bystander training is to teach people to use what is available. If you've got a t-shirt or a, any kind of shirt that you can apply pressure to help stop the bleed and um, then call police, call 911 um, uh, to, to, to get folks there. But that's, that's something that, that we are teaching as part of that Stop the Bleed program. The other part that we teach there uh, is that once you apply a dressing or a tourniquet and slow down or stem the tide of the bleeding, we tell them it's not a Christmas package. Don't open it back up. <laughs> <laughs> that just makes it bleed more. Once you've made that decision and get it either dressed or a tourniquet applied to control the hemorrhage, get them to the hospital where that can be treated because that's the only effective management where you can truly let the tourniquet down and then start to uh, correct the problem. I know when it comes to what do I do at a, if I come upon an auto accident and there's injuries, for example, or an event like this, people worry about what their exposure to legal risk is if they get involved. Can you talk about how that comes into play? Let's say I'm a lay person. I think a, I think a clinician probably, in most cases, probably understands they're going to be provided for, for rendering aid. But what about Mr. or Mrs. Layperson who comes on this scene and maybe they're not aware of that? What would you say to them? Well, thankfully in Georgia, we have what's known as the Good Samaritan Law that protects folks from doing things. If, you're, if your intention is not to do harm, if your intention is to help, then you are protected under, under the Good Samaritan Law in Georgia, which is a wonderful thing. I would imagine that, that having that available and, and is somewhat well communicated, I think, uh, to let people know that you can render aid. And as we've talked about here, and particularly in Injuries like what we're talking about, where there's severe bleeding, we really don't have a whole lot of time. We're talking several minutes, you know, as few as five minutes, and a person could be lost due to blood loss. And I think that's the other side of that question, uh, worrying about the legal ramifications, which you are, in fact, protected in this state. But if you fail to do something, that person may not survive. Uh, and that's a decision that most people will say, gee, I want to try to help that person survive. I'll, I'll do what needs to be done. So that's kind of the background for the whole program is to give them the confidence in these techniques to try to control hemorrhage, apply a tourniquet, apply a pressure dressing, and feel comfortable in so doing that and getting them to the hospital. What is the, where are we now with regards to the extent to which we've got these kits distributed across the state? We just got the money, okay for the money in March. And, okay. the, and so we're on a really short timeline here. So um, the kits are going out now. I don't know exactly how many have gone out yet. Um, the primary thing was to get the training done 
so that you didn't have a kit sitting there that nobody knew how to use. So um, the training has gone out first, um, and then the schools will be um, equipped with with the tourniquets, but tourniquet kits um, to stop the bleeding kits. But some have gone out um, already, but the training has got to come first and then the kit. If they want to supplement what is here, this is this is a single kit, obviously, and I assume that's what we're providing to each school is a single kit. We're giving seven, seven, okay, per school. I see. How how expensive are these? Are, are can I ask that? Such that if somebody either wanted to donate to their school or, you know, make something available to this project, how, how much are we talking? Well, certainly this was a, a state grant project, so there were um, there were bids put out to make the money to be its most effective. And the uh, people that have been involved in developing these kits are also very civic minded on a program like this. So uh, the kits are about probably a minimum of $60 per small kit. And there are eight small kits in a bigger uh, either bag or container that would go to each school. So that's a, you know, a sizable donation going to all the public schools within the state, which is what the grant was to cover. We have some of the trauma centers have worked with their community. I know in Gwinnett, We've uh, worked with the Gwinnett Brave Stadium, which is uh, closely uh, geographically associated with our trauma center, and we've placed these in their facility in case they should ever have a need for the the kits that are there. So trauma programs throughout the state have done this in their own communities in various other venues and provided not only the training but uh, some trauma support for the community and the underwriting cost of those kits. When it comes to the folks that are making this possible, are you still looking for more partners to either supplement what is being provided in these kits or um, add more of them to what you have available? Are there still opportunities to participate if maybe an organization hears about this and says, well, we want to help make this work too? Kathy, it might be a good time to talk about the Trauma Foundation. That's exactly right. We do have, we are blessed in our state to have also um, a foundation, a 501c3 called the um, Trauma, Georgia Trauma Foundation. And that would be an excellent place if some, if some organization wanted to supplement this. That organization would be the appropriate place to go with that. I would also say that the MAG MRC has now developed a uh, foundation side for the training that we're doing with many of the communities and that we would have the potential to also provide some avenues for people to donate and we would use that funding effectively to help support the training and the, the development and the, the equipment going into communities. If my school is one that receives the equipment, then I guess then I'll be hearing from somebody at the same time on setting up the how do you use this? Where do you keep it so everybody knows where it is? That kind of thing. That comes along with me receiving the kit that we schedule a, a time for that kind of training. There's, there's not only the training, but there's also um, there's an appropriate way um, for reporting to go back if, if the kit is used, how it is used, when it is used, what happened, so that we can collect that data too. Um, so it's, it's not just that the legislature gave us a million dollars and we are out there like trick-or-treaters giving away candy. <laughs> sure. Um, there's a lot of accountability built into the system too, to know who's gotten trained, 
um, which schools have have chosen to participate because it is voluntary. The school is not required to do it. The school system is not required to do it. But um, so that we are collecting data and knowing what our outcomes are and and that there's transparency and accountability in the program too. Um, I'm going to give a little plug for the Trauma Foundation. Um, if, if you are interested in that, it is easy to find on the, the World Wide Web at georgiatraumafoundation.org. All of that is spelled out, and um, there are ways for you to donate there, and there are ways for you to also follow this, um, what's happening in Georgia and the school system, too, um, is located there. Many of our folks listening are physicians that are members of the Medical Association of Georgia. Um, many of them are communi- community you know, just residents, for those folks that are wanting to go through that train the trainer kind of program, if you're a clinician or somebody that would be qualified to do that, talk about where do I go to learn more about those courses or or certification processes? Well, I think first we need to realize that this is, uh, you look at it from two arms. One, this is a nationwide project of the American College of Surgeons. They have recommended this through the, our various local state chapters, and certainly Georgia has been a strong advocate of this being an important, an important aspect of capability for our citizens. Uh, you know, I've often said when I lecture, Kathy, that the first time that you decide to get prepared for a disaster is usually after your first one. Absolutely. And you realize the need then. So we had the Olympic bombings a a number of years ago, which kind of emphasized some of the importance for me. We're trying this for this to be a national program, but it's accomplished as far as the effective teaching at the local level throughout the state. So the local chapters of the American College State Organization around the state, the local trauma centers that are associated with the trauma commission are taking a large part in the education for this. The medical association of Georgia also has taken it on as one of their educational uh, aspects, which is uh, administered through the MRC project that we have and the residents, um, Dr. McCullough, and Dr. Ali are both involved in the both the MRC, but also the resident section. And they've actually gotten a grant and are teaching this to uh, sharing this with other residency programs. Shub, you may want to talk. We've got one scheduled in a couple of weeks coming up, I think. Yeah, it's, you know, as, as I stated earlier, it's very important to get the young physicians on board and the resident physicians and We've, over the past year, we've been trying to create more networks, make it known for other residents to um, be able to reach out to us, um, those who are interested or want to be involved or how to become more involved. Um, the, you know, reaching out to us, trying to get in touch with the MAG MRC or the MAG resident section um, would be one way to start. And um, there's teaching seminars that um, there's one coming up, as Dr. Harvey mentioned, but there will be multiple sessions for opportunities to teach the community and at the same time uh, learn how uh, the appropriate method to, for hemorrhage control. We also have the Georgia Trauma Commission, which is the, the, the state agency through which this money flows. Um, and the Georgia Trauma Commission and their um, each regional trauma advisory council has got uh, training going on 
throughout the state too. And the state's divided into regions and, and there's a region chief in each one of those. So um, there are lots of avenues to go and, and find this. There's bleedingcontrol.org, which is another website that you can go to and, and find about where the train the trainer courses are and other courses are going on. But the Georgia Trauma Commission is, is another good local area to find out that. Well, it's exciting that you're making this kind of information available, putting these types of kits out there into the community. And just like the Heimlich Maneuver, just having a little bit of an understanding just because you took a few minutes and went through the process of learning some of these points of what to do, you never can tell. I mean, right? You you just never know when you're going to be either involved in or right there when an event happens or come upon an event shortly after it happens such that you're the person that needs to be able to step in and make a difference. And it sounds like you're really doing a nice job of empowering folks, both clinicians to be able to do so, but also laypersons in the community as well who can really make a difference. Very often there isn't a clinician available, so it is up to the layperson at, at the point of care to decide and have an understanding of what to do. Final thoughts before we let you all get back to the rest of your afternoon? No, CW, I appreciate you having us here for the opportunity to discuss this. And there may be people that don't know about the program, but as we've mentioned, there are multiple avenues to get some training in your local area, or you can call the Medical Association. You could call the the Georgia Society of the American College. Uh, and you could probably call your local first response agencies, the fire department or the police or the EMS within your community, and they can help arrange the training or the background that you would be interested in in your local area. Our true intent is that each citizen that would be wanting to render aid would feel comfortable in how to use the techniques to control major bleeding and to get that person to care. Mm -hmm. And in this case, we're talking about young people. And so who wouldn't want to be able to stop a preventable uh, tragedy there by just being able to do something pretty straightforward and simple? Not easy, but certainly empowered with this information and some of this equipment, or at least knowledge of how to uh, come up with some equipment if, if the dedicated devices aren't available to you to actually be able to improvise in a given uh, moment of emergency. Final thoughts for you? Well, um, thank you again for having us here and, and using this as a medium to, to get the word out. Um, I would say, too, to if you know a legislator, thank them for the million dollars to get this off the ground. We'd like to have that as a continuing appropriation every year and expand on this. I mean, the, the next, for me, the next logical step would be to put a trauma kit on every school bus or other locations. Or we, we would really like to have a trauma kit in every other classroom so that they are more readily available. But that requires money. Yeah. You talked about being able to expand it even beyond that into Places like with the Highway Patrol, for example, those guys right. and gals are always coming upon the scene of the accident right after it happened and, and when things are still being sorted out and could be able to maybe make some difference with that. Sometimes they'll beat the ambulance there. Absolutely. We had um, one a Gwinnett officer um, at the Capitol um, when we had trauma awareness day that talked about getting Stop the Bleed training and just three days later. Uh, coming up on a, being the first responder really to a drive-by shooting, a lady's just standing there washing her dishes, minding her own business, and a bullet came through her kitchen and hit her in the thigh. 
and he was able to save her life because he had a tourniquet on his belt. Did she hit a get a femoral artery or some major vessel? That You'll have to ask Dr. Bleeding? Harvey. That's pretty amazing. <laughs> and it just goes to show you, I mean, it really does happen. It happens all the time. Happens you never can time. tell how it's going to happen. But there are certainly events like this that are not necessarily gunshot wounds no. um, that can occur where, where some substantial bleeding could occur and you might be able to, to do something about it. I want to say thank you very much to the three of you for making time to join us here in the studio today. And you can get out to georgiatraumafoundation.org slash stop the bleed. I'm sure there will be information on the MAG website as well at mag.org. Learn about the Medical Reserve Corps as well. It kind of dovetails into it if you're one of the clinicians out there thinking, hey, I want to be able to provide this care or be certified to teach other people so we can make this information more available. You might as well go ahead and link up with the Medical Reserve Corps as well and be able to provide your expertise in the event of some sort of weather or other related emergency that requires larger amounts of medical care to be moved into a given area. Um, so go out there to Medical uh, Association of Georgia's website, mag.org, learn more about that. And if you haven't done so already, make sure you subscribe to our show. That way, when the new episodes come out, they're downloaded to your device. You can check them out when they're convenient for you. And we hope you turn around and click share, put it out on LinkedIn, Facebook, and other social media platforms that you use. The whole goal here is to get the word out. So we'll say thanks to all the folks who do that for us. I'm so pleased that you stopped by today, made us a part of your day. We look forward to catching up with you next time. We'll see you then. 